0: Just
1: another really fun show covering all kinds of topics today. We kick things off with Sasho Saroski, the 29-year top man at Maryland for the men's soccer program where he's won three national championships in 05 2008 and also 2018 he'll take on the Michigan Wolverines tomorrow night 630 on the Big Ten Network Friday night soccer under the lights in front of the crew Ludwig Field the house that Sasha built so much fun going down memory lane with Sasho and also talking about the future of college soccer with Sasho he'll kick off the show then we got the weekly countdown to convention last week was jeff van dusen laying the groundwork for everything that's going to happen in kansas city in january one of the first people we talked about was sky eddie who founded soccer parenting association she is doing a diploma on wellness essentials for every player 12 amazing panels including a field session will be done at the convention if you attend six of them you get a diploma and sky eddie breaks down all 12 of them a wonderful guest Yesterday, Hispanic Heritage Month kicked off, so it's only fitting that we spend time with two of the leaders of the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. We are so pleased to be joined by Eloisa Borreguero and Art Hernandez. Great leaders, great speakers, great people, and a great show. And it starts after this message from our presenting sponsor, Team Snap.
0: Does managing your club or league feel like a second job?
1: Kicking off today's United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team staff by one of my all-time faves and one of the all-time greats for college soccer, Sasho Saroski. Now in his 29th season at Maryland, 31 overall. He's a national champion in 05, 08. He did it a few years ago in 2018. And I'll tell you what, folks, he might have a team that can do it again. You know he's going to be in the running. Sasho Saroski, welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast.
2: Dean, great to be with you, and great to be on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast.
1: Yeah, well, tomorrow night, I've got the call on the Big Ten Network, Michigan, coming to the house that Sasho built, Ludwig Field. I'm hoping the crew's going to be out. A big-time game tomorrow night, 6.30, on the Big Ten Network, Coach. Yeah, we're excited. You know, it's Friday night lights, Big Ten opener, a
2: great Michigan team coming in town. You know, we expect a full house. We're already averaging over 3,500 people a game over the first three games, but this will be the marquee Friday night matchup of the
1: season so far. So, we're excited about it. I know you get tired of the same questions, but there's new people listening to the podcast. It's growing. And you mentioned Friday Night Lights, Sasha. You created Friday Night Lights. I've got some of my best memories calling games when we did the NSCA Game of the Week and even in recent years on the Big Ten Network. You made it happen. Can you put into words for the 57th time why you felt that was so important? Well, you know,
2: I I was a marketing major and I I always understood a little bit about positioning and marketing. And I, I always felt like college soccer was not maximizing some of the rivalries and some of the games on TV. And as MLS grew and and we had less television coverage on TV, I had this idea to get this top 20 rivalry weekend uh, or Friday night game because college football belongs on Saturdays, NFL belongs on Sundays. And I thought Friday night was a time that we could really uh, maximize. Uh, so came up with this idea in 2005 on Fox Soccer Channel. I, I Pitched it, I went down to L.A. several times. I beat the bushes, used a paper napkin, called all my friends and said, we've got to do this. And uh, for about an eight-year run, we had an incredible Friday night college soccer experience. You know, we had you know Carolina, Duke, Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland, Virginia. We had these great rivalries, and, and every night was a big event. It was the event of the college season. It was the event for each institution. That was the game that everybody pointed to. Look, I take a great deal of pride. I, I deeply care about college soccer. Every chance I get, I uh, stand on my pulpit and promote the game in any way possible. And I thought that was a great thing. And, and certainly when that went away, the idea of Friday Night Lights has not gone away. You're seeing great games all over the country right now. Attendances keep rising. But certainly Ludwig Field uh, was, was in my view, the destination. We're, we're sort of the Broadway of college soccer. I got excited about it, and I think our fans showed up. And uh, I was really proud to play a
1: major role in uh, sort of helping elevate that that night as college soccer's night well in many ways you had to kick the bushes on creating that atmosphere as well I mean you and sometimes you alone meeting with the students to make it happen and from that it's really grown where it's almost automatic on a big game on Friday night you know you're going to get 3,000 plus sometimes 6,000 yeah you know
2: I want to make our team a team that you can sort of feel in touch that you can enjoy you can get to know you know after every game we thank our fans uh you know I think I've bought you know hundreds and thousands of pizzas. We've spent marketing dollars on t-shirts. Every chance we get, we we try to connect emotionally with our student fan base and the community fan base. Uh, but b- beyond all that, I think we play a good brand of soccer and we bring in really high level teams on these games that our fans appreciate. Um, so I think, you know, all of it sort of comes together. So where we have now become a significant sport on our campus and a significant sport in our community. And this is a professional rich community there's a lot of options for people and yet to be able to to average you know three and a half four thousand people a game and to have nights where we're getting six seven eight thousand people a game where people are paying money to come to you know it's a source of pride It, it, it makes me feel
1: good about doing something good for the game i feel like when teams copy your leadership it's the biggest form of flattery and i've done a lot of nc state games in fact i have one tonight as we record this against jmu and they've been packing the house that was Debbie Yao when you were there. And then Debbie Yao went to NC State. They brought the stands in. And every game I call, I do give credit to you, Sasha, because they're packing both sides now with the red tears, just like the crew behind your goals. That's gotta make you feel pretty good.
2: Yeah, I actually caught the game recently, saw them against Clemson, saw packed house behind the goal. And uh, yeah, that's make me make me feel very proud. You know, it's interesting. Debbie Yao, when she was here at one point resisted uh, putting stands <laughs> behind the goal, uh, because we have to train our our uh, our fans to become a little more pg versus uh some of the rated r stuff they were doing so we had crowd control issues uh but i'm, I'm delighted that she went there with the idea because it, it's a great atmosphere now the only thing is nc state only has three sides and we've got four sides so so, so, so they haven't quite gotten to the level of copying us yet,
1: but uh, it is a nice form of flattery. Yeah, no, that's so well said. Yeah. Maryland's got both sides picked and right behind the goals packed. And just one more comment on those Friday night game of the week, because I think about a game at then called home Depot center. They've changed their name several times now, and you won that game in overtime. And then those Sebastian Elney game winners, I think they all were against UCLA, but I do remember calling the North Carolina and Duke games as well. But those overtime thrillers on Friday night lights, Sacho, and I know you've got the national championships but those got to be in your top 10
2: yeah we we've created this incredible rivalry with ucla over the years uh now we have it with indiana we've had it with virginia we've had the great duke game the rivalries uh i feel like we have a lot of huge rivalries uh but but the ucla games were special i think there was a period where i think every game went to overtime for about almost a you know eight or ten year period it's certainly one that we want to reestablish once we can start traveling cross-country and, and UCLA can start coming back here. But, uh, oh yeah, I mean, some of those are the biggest, best celebrations I've ever seen and certainly rival the, the national championship w- wins.
1: I want to get to know the, the fire that burns within you. As I mentioned, 31 years now as a coach. And I'm going to go ahead and tell this story. On Sunday, I did North Carolina Stanford Women, and we were walking around with my mom and dad. And my mom and dad are getting older, but Anson, like, welcomes us in. And my mom says to Anson, you know, Anson, there's two coaches that Dean always talks about. It's Anson and it's Sasho Saroski. And then they kind of did ask, you know, Anson, 70 years old, you're keeping the fire burning. Sasha, you're not that old. So that's not what I'm trying to apply. But, <laughs> But what does keep the fire burning? Because you're always ready. Well,
2: you know, I love my job. I I just, I really love the challenge. I love the competition. I love helping these young kids grow and become better. Uh, You know, I got into this because I wanted to be what I call, uh, you know, a philosopher, coach, a, a mentor, a guide, you know, we have a saying at Maryland says building champions, pursuing championships and building champions is is the core of what you have to do, which is you recruit good people and you help them navigate their personal life so they can get the most out of themselves. And uh, not only for the, you know, three or four years that they're with us here, but hopefully for the rest of their life, you know, I want them all to be athletes for life. I want them to be great leaders, and great influencers in their community and have great life w- with, with their whole families. That means a lot to me. You know, you don't always get it right. You know, sometimes, you know, you have to exert hard love, a parental love with kids. And, you know, but, but in the end, you know, I feel really good about sort of helping people become the best version of themselves. At the same time, I feel good that, you know, maybe when I'm done, I'm gonna leave a legacy where Maryland soccer is becoming important at this institution. Maryland soccer is become important in this area and that college soccer can sort of grow and and get itself set up for the next 100 years. Uh, That's important to me, you know, it's very important. You know, first thing I tell people, Dean, when they come in, the very first meeting is, you know, welcome to Maryland, make sure you live this place better than when you came in. And that's the sort of legacy portion, you know, have a positive impact, have a positive influence. And I look at myself as part of, you know, college soccer, part of University of Maryland, And I wanna make sure both of those
1: are better because I have been a part of it when I'm done. I'm so glad you're looking toward the future. I also like to look back at the past and maybe at a fault. I like to reflect on the history because I think it's important for people to understand where we've come from and where we're going because of that, I like to reflect back on your national championships and we're going to do it now. This won't be easy because these teams were loaded, but let's go back to 2005. What do you remember about that team? I, of course, love the fact that Jason Gary was on that team. I now work a lot with Jason Gary, but he was just one of a ton of, of superstars. Let's go to the 2005 national championship.
2: Yeah, an incredible team. You know, the first emotion I felt, you know, in the final whistle was just one of incredible relief. You know, we... You know, if people can remember a bit of history, you know, in 2002, we we're in a final four, lost a, a, a really a heartbreaker at the UCLA in the semifinals. In 2003, we had a great game against St. John's. I 19 to four, lost one, nothing in 2004. You know, we lose with 48 seconds to go in double overtime to a really good Indiana team. And I remember Jerry Aigley asked to come into the locker room after the game and said, look, you guys are champions. It's only a matter of time before you guys get it. keep doing what you're doing. And next year we come and, and all of a sudden you know we're 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 national champions and and you know there was a running joke in my family of, of friends and and uh, including my brother who started calling me the Jim Kelly of college soccer the Susan Lucci <laughs> of college soccer you know always finishing second so 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 when we won that title it was incredible but you know when you look back at that team it, you wonder why we didn't win those other years because I had great people all around the field you know Jason Gary. Was a senior. He was on that journey with a number of great seniors, um, and I think they were fed up uh, at, at not finishing first. And uh, there's, you know, I mean, you had Jason Gary, Chris Lankos, Mike DeLaRusso, Kenny Berts, um, Craig Salvati. You have all these David Glaudermans were the seniors on that team. But then you had, you know, some real talent. I mean, Robbie Rogers was a freshman. You know, Maurice Adu was a sophomore. Chris Sites is a freshman in goal. AJ Delagarza is a freshman. So we had some. Graham Zuzzi was a freshman. So we had some real talent on that team. And then, you know, thankfully, three
1: years later, we we're able to repeat it with some of those same players. Now, that's the next question. 2008, what do you remember about that run?
2: Again, that run, uh, I think we, we, we set a record for most wins that year. We're 23-3. and three. I think we might have led the country in scoring. And then we went through the NCAA tournament. Uh, I, I think you have one goal that year. I mean, Omar Gonzalez really, I I think, came out of his uh, shell that year and became the most dominant player in college soccer that year. AJ De La Garza, Zuzzi, these kids were seniors now. We had a great group. I mean, that year, I think Wake Forest was probably the top team in the country. It was a great Carolina team. Uh, And then, you know, semifinals in, in, uh, in Frisco, Graham Zuzzi hits a shot that would have made David Beckham proud. And I think he announced himself on the U.S. soccer landscape that night. And then he, he followed it up with a goal in the finals. So I think Graham Zuzzi really sort of uh, made himself known at that point in time and then went on to have an you know, incredible career. So, yeah, that was uh, that was a special one, because in 2002, we lost in Dallas and I got thrown out of the game late in the game. So to come back to Dallas you know, six years later and to win a title was special to
1: me that that one as well. And then 2018, and you and I have had a lot of good discussions, not only on this podcast, but as in preparation for games of the week, and then also the Big Ten Network for (laughs) as long as you've been in the Big Ten. But 2018, you're adjusting to the fact that these DA players are leaving early and you're trying to manage that. And I know you're still working on that today as you're on the fly and trying to figure all that out. And you kind of got off to a rough start, but you kept saying, "I haven't lost this locker room. I haven't lost this locker room." And then, lo and behold, you get into the NCAA tournament and you allow zero goals against some big-time teams, and you win your third national championship. Sasho.
2: Yeah, that was a that was a, a really special year because you know we I think we were an eleven seed that year versus the, the both in you know five oh eight. I think we we're you know, the top seed or maybe the second or third seed overall. So, so we were real contenders in 05 and 08. In, in 18, we were, we were not, we were an afterthought. We were not ranked at any point during the season. But I always felt like we had a good group. We just never got the whole team together at one time. You know, Donovan Pines missed a number of games. Chase Gasper missed most of the season. You know, we're trying to figure some things out in different positions. And then we were forced to change our tactics a little bit, change our system of play. And then all of a sudden we hit it. And when we hit it, In the NCAA tournament, I mean, that was that was as good a run uh, as anybody. You know, we scored in every game, so we never had to go to overtime and we didn't allow a goal in any game. So we definitely deserve to be national champions that year, even though, you know, there was a a great Indiana team that year that had an incredible regular season, probably the best team in the country uh, at that point. Akron had a phenomenal team, obviously Michigan State. Also had a great team that year, got to the Final Four, but uh, yeah, that was just a, a another, you know, sort of different, beautiful story for Maryland soccer.
1: Here with Sasho Saroski tomorrow night, 6:30 the big 10 network starts their coverage of big 10 men's soccer. And what a game Michigan in town at Maryland. Sasho, can you tell us that once again, you're playing a ridiculous schedule, only one loss on the season against a very good Georgetown team. You've played big time teams. You've had big time wins. What kind of team will we see tomorrow night on the big 10 network?
2: Yeah, I think you're going to see a a little bit of an old Maryland uh, style. I think we've got more attacking weapons than we've had maybe for the past uh, three or four years. So I think you're going to see a, a lot more creativity, a little bit more attacking quality. We didn't have it much against Georgetown, but I'm confident we'll have it on Friday. I also think you're going to see a, just a great game. I mean, we've had some, some real battles with Michigan. I think every game has been a one-goal game. You know, Shaka does a great job. They, they play a really nice brand of soccer. I know Michigan will be highly motivated. Uh, you know, they were just on the cusp of the NCAA tournament last year. And, you know, we sort of barely got in. And maybe the difference was our victory at Michigan last year that probably got us in. And I think they're, they're going to be highly motivated. We expect that, and we'll be ready for that challenge.
1: All right. Finally, as uh, you've said before, you're not afraid to get up on the pulpit, make things happen like Friday Night Soccer, make things happen like Ludwig Field, the house that Sasha built. Last year, of course, the Big Ten didn't play in the fall, but you got a bird's eye view of what the 21st century model would look like in a lot of the other leagues, including the ACC, the league that you came from. Are we losing a momentum? Are we gaining momentum? Where are we on the 21st century model as we wrap up our time with you, Coach? I think we're gaining momentum. I think uh, there's a lot of winds
2: of change within the NCAA that will be positive for us. Number one, last year at the 11th hour, we we put a spring season, as you mentioned, the ACC, along with a a few other schools, uh, played the central over two semesters. And I think they found uh, not only can it be done, and even though it wasn't the 21st century model, I think the coaches and players loved it. And I think you saw a national championship game between Marshall and Indiana, which was the first sellout that we've had since 1995 because it was in good weather, got an extra day of rest, and the quality of the game was outstanding. And the championship experience overall, I think was, was good last year in spite of the, 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 COVID, the COVID season. So I think you see a lot of things. I also see right now that the NCAA's governance structure is going to change. I, I see the way that the NCAA is going to go. There'll be a little bit more power and autonomy uh some of the power five and group of five schools which was one way for us to get this over the top anyways i think we'll even have more influence and power over that so dean i fully expect in 2023 that we're playing
1: the 21st century model uh, in cod soccer All right. And then as we end, how close to 2023? And I'm probably number 257 on your list of influencers. In fact, maybe I'm not even that high, but if I've got to meet with Mr. Pines to make sure we have Sasho Swarovski stadium built and done, I'll be happy to do it. Sasho. When can that happen? When will we see that?
2: Well, my goal is 2023 Dean. Uh, My goal is that we have a, uh, at least if not the full version, at least, uh, you know, two thirds of, of the stadium done by 2023. So that is the plan and uh, of course I've been pushing this for over 25 years now so I'm certainly hopeful that uh, that we will have a soccer specific year round stadium by the fall of
1: 2023. And if I push that can I move inside the top 200 on your list or
2: well well I I you will have your own suite. We'll we'll, we'll make sure <laughs> you have you, you will have you have your own
1: suite for so you can call a lot more than one or two games a year. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be awesome. What a great way to kick it off. Don't forget Maryland and Michigan six 30 on the big 10 network. Sasho Sirosky in the house that Sasho built taking on Shaka daily and Michigan Sasho. Thanks for kicking off this week's podcast. Being great to be with you. Looking forward to Friday night. Yes, indeed. Friday night is the night for that Michigan Maryland game and appreciate starting the show with Sasho Sirosky. The Maryland-Michigan game is indeed one of the best in the country. It's becoming a great rivalry. Michigan actually has a pretty good record against Maryland in the Shaka Daily era, as Sasha mentioned, so it should be a good one. We come back. We've got the countdown to convention. Jeff Van Dusen kicked it off last week. Of course, he's the director of operations and events for United Soccer Coaches. And he started by mentioning Sky Eddie was doing a diploma. Wellness Essentials for Every Player. And wow, does Sky Eddie have incredible speakers and presenters as part of this diploma? There's 12 different sessions. You need to attend six of them to get the diploma on Wellness Essentials for Every Player. Sky Eddie, the founder of Soccer Parenting Association, which you can find at soccerparenting.com, is up next on our Countdown to Convention.
0: Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit QuickGoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs.
1: Hi, this is dean Linky, host of the united soccer coaches podcast with a special message from my mentor and united soccer coaches mentoring is widely considered to be the best approach to connect theory into practice your role as a mentor is critical to helping coaches to develop their knowledge and skills within the soccer coaching environment the mentoring soccer coaches special topics diploma created in collaboration with my mentor will enable you to explore and apply the principles of mentoring with your coaches and you can register now for this unique education opportunity at home.mymentorportal.com that's at home.mymentor, portal.com the course and the first virtual workshop begin on the 14th of september
0: Time now for the Countdown to Convention, a weekly interview on the United Soccer Coaches podcast that features the United Soccer Coaches Convention, which will take place January 19th through 23rd in Kansas City. Every week during this time, our host, Dean Linke, will take a deep dive with someone or a group of people that will be featured at this year's convention. Remember to register early for the convention by going to unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Now, here's Dean with this week's Countdown to Convention. This
1: is the Countdown Duke Convention, and we are visiting with Sky Eddy, who is the founder of Soccer Parenting Association. And as you heard, Jeff Van Dusen in the kickoff to the Countdown Convention last week, Sky Eddy was the very first person he mentioned as part of the Wellness Essentials for Every Player Diploma. Before we welcome in Skye, let me just tell you a little bit about her. She is the founder of the Soccer Parenting Association with a mission of inspiring players by empowering parents. Sky is a sought-after speaker for parents, coaches, clubs, and players. A former professional player, Sky was a collegiate and youth All-American goalkeeper, the defensive MVP of the Final Four with George Mason, where she finished out her great career, and state champion track athlete. Sky has coached extensively in the youth and collegiate games, an MBA graduate of the University of Richmond. Sky has earned her U.S. Soccer B license, the U.S. Soccer National Goalkeeper license, the U.S. Soccer Grassroots Instructor's license, and is a sought-after coach and parent educator and club consultant. And more importantly, as it relates to the Countdown to Convention, she is heading up this Wellness Essentials for Every Player. Sky, welcome to the Countdown to Convention on the United Soccer Coaches podcast.
3: Thanks so much for having me and for that nice introduction. I'm excited to speak to you and people today about this exciting diploma that we have in play.
1: Well, I'm not sure if you heard Jeff Van Dusen, but you were indeed the very first person he mentioned as he was excited about the diplomas, especially excited about the wellness essentials for every player. So let's dive into that. This is a podcast, so you have time to explain what you're hoping to accomplish with this wellness essentials for every player.
3: So when Jeffrey out to me about the idea and the concept for it, I was so excited to take it on. Uh, Obviously, in the work that I'm doing with soccer parenting, player wellness is is right at the forefront of the work we're doing. So um, what I have done with this diploma is we've crafted 12 various either lectures or there will even be a field session as part of this that are really focusing on not just the bio side of player wellness, which we often go to, but also focusing on the psych side of things and the social side of things as well. So how we can meet the needs of players as coaches in their playing environment from a bio, psych, social standpoint.
1: Sky, would it be really hard for you to break down all 12, or at least by breakdown, I mean, at least mention the names of them, or is that not something that accessible?
3: Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I know all the presenters except for one at this point, so I can even go ahead and commit to explaining it in quite a bit of detail. So we'll have Zach Crawford from U.S. Soccer coming in to talk about the stages of development from the U.S. Soccer Player Development Framework. So um, really focused on meeting the needs of players based on their stage of development. Also from U.S. Soccer will be Allison Kakoras, who works with the Safe Sports area for U.S. soccer, and she will be presenting about ethical intelligence, safe sport, player emotional safety, and more. And then presenting on one of my favorite topics related to this is Sarah Kaibel. Sarah is a former collegiate player, but she is now an emotional intelligence trainer, and she will be presenting on emotional intelligence for high performance in coaching. So excited that Mark O'Sullivan from AIK in Sweden will be joining us. Mark is a PhD candidate and does some great work on holistic development and holi- supporting the needs of players that way. So Mark will actually be presenting twice. He will do a field session As part of this diploma called tuning into the practice environment to support learning in development. So how as coaches, we can really tune into our practice design and what's happening on the field in order to meet the needs of players in order to support them from a holistic standpoint in making sure that they are learning in those environments. And then Mark will be doing a session in the classroom on reconceptualizing youth player development. Um, he'll be introducing his contemporary player learning and development framework, which is what um, he has done a lot of research on and works with AIK on. Um, and then Jay Demerit will be in the house as well, um, former U.S. Women, U.S. men's national team player. Um, Jay will be talking about self-leadership and how coaches can develop environments that really support athletes in developing self-leadership. I mean, the list just keeps going on and on. Eric Legg, um, Ph.D., He will be doing a session on team culture. Eric has pioneered some great research on sense of community theory, which I work a lot with on soccer parenting. So he will be presenting some of the sense of community theory uh, research, but in a very interactive roundtable type format, creating a sense of community among your players and parents will be his topic. Um, Neff Walker is on the board with United Soccer Coaches. Also, I will give a shout out to University of Massachusetts where uh, my undergraduate degree is from where she is a professor. Um, Neth will be talking about a coach's guide to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then to wrap us up with two other people will be Ryan Deffelbaugh. Ryan will be talking about a super important topic. I had a mom with soccer parenting. He's excellent. He's an active coach. He's also an active licensed clinical counselor. He will be talking about coaching athletes with anxiety and mental health concerns. And then finally, we will have uh, John Cohn talking about utilizing player monitoring towards maximizing wellness and development. Oh, and I cannot forget uh, Chioma, Chioma and Stacey Wilson will be coming in, wrapping it out with more of the bio side of things and the sort of the biopsych social all mix. They'll be talking about nutrition, also diving a little bit into meditation and yoga. So that is the player development diploma, Uh, the wellness essentials for every player diploma, I should say. The coaches who attend six of the 12 topics will receive the special topics diploma during the convention this year.
1: Sky Eddie, that was a fantastic breakdown and it's <laughs> important too because those names are recognizable really every single one of them are recognizable. Most of them have been on the podcast as well, so really appreciate you taking the time to doing it. How about taking the time to tell us why you started Soccer Parenting Association? There's a certain stigma to parents around sports as you know, and what you're doing there is pretty darn special.
3: Oh, uh, thank you. Um yeah, I mean, why I started Soccer Parenting is a really simple reason. It's our vision statement for soccer parenting. It is to make youth soccer better. Uh, You know, historically, Dean, we all know the challenges that exist in the dynamics of the coach parent relationship. And as my children were coming up at the game, I became acutely aware of the fact that if we could really have at times more collaborative relationships between the coaches and the parents, that that absolutely would be in the best interest of player development. And so what we're seeking to do with soccer parenting is to encourage coaches and club leaders to rethink the coach parent relationship to give education guidance and support to coaches when it comes to how to establish appropriate boundaries with parents within their club or within their team structures and then also we do a ton of parent education and I've created an education platform for parents where they can go to get the information they need about what we call a soccer parenting, like the six pillars of soccer parenting, the body, the mind, the game, the next level, the coach club relationship and parenting. So um, sort of the, the focus of soccer parenting is educating parents so they have the tools they need to support their player, make sure their child is inspired by their participation but also educating and supporting coaches and club leaders in rethinking the way that they interact with parents.
1: I think that's so important. And this question might be a little bit off of what you're trying to accomplish, but I need to ask it anyway, because I think it'll resonate with you and resonate with everybody that's listening. And that is the power of a coach, which affects how parents deal with it. So in my case, yes, I was a soccer parent, but I was also a basketball parent and both my kids were high level basketball players. And I saw firsthand the power of a coach that embraced my boys and the power of a coach that didn't embrace my boys for whatever reason, right? And as a parent, you're always kind of looking at it from just you know one point of view, of course, but Sky, these coaches have tremendous power and tremendous influence of them use it the right way. Maybe that number is a little bit too high, but there are some that don't use it the right way. How do you handle a coach that isn't using it the right way as a parent? What is your recommendation for that? Long question, perhaps even a long answer is coming, but uh, I, I wanted to ask it.
3: Yeah. And this is where club leadership and organizations such as United Soccer Coaches really come into play. And, Uh, can demonstrate their importance in our ecosystems that we have. So, you know, I think that setting the standards for what quality coaching looks like and feels like and how a quality coach um, should be impacting young athletes, um, you know, is essential in the work that we're doing. Um, You know, we also have crazy soccer parents, I say in air quotes here. And so as soccer parenting What we've chosen to do is to spend our time and spend our energy on the vast majority of soccer parents and the vast majority of soccer coaches. So that's not to say that we want to ignore the crazy soccer parents or we want to ignore what I often refer to, again, in air quotes, just to sort of classify these coaches for good or bad as sort of like the bully, unemotionally intelligent coach. Um, you know, we've chosen to instead focus on, uh, focus on the level headed coaches, the level headed parents and try to give us some more power in this ecosystem so that we can make sure that the um, players are being supported adequately and that the coaches are as well, because what's happened is that too often those bully coaches, those crazy soccer parents have taken way too much power and control and time and energy From what's really going on and so what we're doing at soccer parenting is creating a movement to really give the level-headed coaches and parents a stronger voice to be able to effectuate change to um, to establish an environment for our athletes in which they can feel inspired and in which they can thrive Um, and so a lot of these uh, the the short answer actually to your question is that this comes down to club leadership and institutional leadership that we have in our youth soccer space, especially, and collegiately, professionally, we're seeing even now some of this playing out in our professional leagues. Um, So, you know, this comes down to us feeling confident in what a good quality coach looks like, being able to explain that. And probably the thing that I run into the most is soccer parenting are parents that reach out to me when they have a very stressful situation with a coach who really just needs some affirmation to follow their instincts. Like, yes, it is not okay. For your child to get in the car crying uh, or for the coach to signal them out at a halftime and literally be berating them, screaming at them during um, during halftime for you to be able to hear it and see it from across the field. That's not OK. And parents sometimes just need that because we have such confused, re- confusing relationships when it comes to the coach parent dynamic in just our society in general. So we're just trying to get some clarity of that.
1: So great to have Sky Eddy on the founder of Soccer Parenting Association and heading up the Wellness Essentials for Every Player Diploma at this year's convention in Kansas City or essentially the 2022 convention in Kansas City. Jeff Van Dusen with high praise. And I can see why Sky Eddy, you are fantastic at breaking this down. At the end of the day, what do you want to accomplish at the convention as part of this Wellness Essentials for Every Player Diploma?
3: Uh, That's a great question. We want coaches to attend these sessions and to be receiving some connection to a deeper sense of purpose and inspiration for why they are um, deciding to take on the role of being a coach, which you know is not an easy role to have oftentimes. So, you know, I hope that coaches feel an extra sense of inspiration and purpose and joy and enthusiasm and motivation around the work that they're doing to impact the lives and players and families. Um, And we're hoping that this wellness essentials for every player diploma um, gives some clarity to coaches on what their deeper role is beyond the technical and tactical side of the game.
1: I'm so looking forward to it as well. The wellness essentials for every player. I'm going to end with this. As you talk about joy and enthusiasm, I just had Sasso Saroski on and he broke down the 2005, the 2008 and the 2018 national championship. Yes. You went to UMass and then your last year, you went to George Mason. You were the defensive MVP of the final four named the first team, all American you played UNC in the final. We won't mention the score, but you made it to the final in your final year. As you reflect on that, I, by the way, think it's important to remember our history because it helps us get to the next step. Can you talk about what it was like playing that year for George Mason and make it all the way to that final game?
3: Uh, what a special season that was. We were the last team that was taken into the tournament and ended up uh, losing in the finals. And I'll say, because so people could save anybody a search, we lost 6 nothing in the final, um, which was a hard game to go out on. But at the same time, it was such a privilege to be a part of this really special George Mason team, coached by Jack Sakala, and assisted by Paul Ellis, who just did a tremendous job of bringing us together. It was one of those teams that every athlete dreams of being a part of. Uh, it just gels. Uh, it feels more powerful and strong than stronger than anything that I've ever been a part of. When that team just came together, like we did, we felt unstoppable, and we were until the final. and I do still consider those women um, some of my closest soccer friends and sisters, um, despite the fact that I just played there for that one for that one season.
1: Sky Eddie, I feel like our worlds have been this close for so long. And now to finally have you on the podcast is an honor. And I'm definitely going to have you back as well as we get closer to the convention. Sky Eddie, part of this week's Countdown to Convention. She's also the founder of Soccer Parenting Association. Let's end with that. If people want to learn more about what you're doing at Soccer Parenting Association, which is big time, where's the website?
3: SoccerParenting.com, easy place to find us and uh, connect with us there.
1: Thanks, Dean. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure indeed. Sky Eddie, When we return, we put the spotlight on Hispanic Heritage Month and the United Soccer Coaches Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. I want to thank Lee Gero for helping make this happen and especially want to thank our incredible guest, Eloisa Borreguero, whose team actually won a USYS National Championship down in Florida, something that I was able to participate in, and Eloisa was present, and they won it, so congratulations to her. And then also Art Hernandez, who has really stepped up for the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group. He is such a great voice on their podcast, their webinars. He is making things happen. Eloisa and Art, Hispanic Heritage Month, with the focus on the bounce
0: that's this week's countdown to convention for the 2022 united soccer coaches convention january 19th through 23rd in kansas city register today at unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org
1: Hello college coaches, this is Dean Linky with a special reminder, registration is now open for the United Soccer Coaches College Services Program. Registered programs have access to a variety of benefits including eligibility for awards and rankings, individual membership discounts, a dedicated liaison working on your behalf with organizations like the NCAA, NAIA, NJCAA and so much more. United Soccer Coaches helps you develop your entire coaching game the way you help your student-athletes grow as people. For more information or to register, please visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. What a fantastic show. Spending time with Sasso Saroski, also spending time with Sky Eddie. And as promised, we put the spotlight now on Hispanic Heritage Month, and we do that with the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group with United Soccer Coaches and two of their superstars indeed, as we are joined by Eloisa Borreguero and also Art Hernandez, repeat customers, (laughs) for lack of a better word, to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome, Art, and welcome, Eloisa.
4: Good morning, guys. Thank you, Dean, for having us.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, Art. And Art, we're going to start by letting Eloisa brag a little bit because I had the great honor of not only calling the Maguire Cup and the U-19 Championship, but MCing the U-S-Y-S opening ceremonies where Eloisa had her team watching it, and then Eloisa went ahead and had her team win it. So, Eloisa... Start with that. Tell us about the team that won the USYS championship and tell us what you're doing right now in soccer.
5: Albion San Diego, U14 girls team. I took over this team last year. Took over them when still COVID restrictions were happening, but they were already qualified to prepare for playoffs. So there was a lot of uncertainty of how are you gonna prepare a team to compete for playoffs when we can even scrimmage and we have all these restrictions. So anyways, that was the most creative and way to coach and find just different me- methods to prepare the team. Anyways, we went, make it to playoffs, and then finally we had real games, real competition, and now it's like we're heading to Florida in July. I'm like, it's going to be hot, but you know, it's okay. I was looking forward to the first tournament and just coming back from COVID to see how the organization was going to set it up. It was wonderful. I didn't know if players were aware of the importance of the event. So to me, that um, introduction event that you led, uh, that you were leading and explaining, it was the first point for the team to say, hey, let's watch this, understand where you are. We need to win this. It was a great, phenomenal um, environment, very professional very high competition. It, it was great. And then looking around and saying, I want to win every game. And and that's what we did. We had a lot of team meetings off the field. Uh, we prepared for the game. We put up a really good soccer. And, and yeah, I was very proud of the team and proud as a coach to look back during the year and see we did it.
1: Well, did you get a Gatorade shower and do you realize that not only you, but all of the kids on the team and even their parents, they'll never forget winning that national championship.
5: I didn't get the Gatorade one. <laughs> I didn't, but we went to the beach and we all jumped on the water to celebrate it. We needed to take the plane back. So we had a little there, but it was, it was great. And you know what, Dean, I didn't see a lot of female coaches there. And that was something for me to also bring to the community and say a lot of girls team in the playoffs, a lot of, and it's like, where are all these women coaches? So I hope I'm an inspiration for this generation of players that they can see that it's possible one day for them to be taking their teams to the national championship.
1: What a great message. We're also here with Art Hernandez, who's been a great spokesperson for the Latino Coaches Advocacy Group. He does a great job leading podcasts, leading webinars, just leading in general. Art, get us caught up to date on where you are in Philadelphia and what you're up to.
4: Yeah, so I'm in uh, Chester County, Philadelphia, and I just moved. I'm going to go into the other spectrum of, of, of what Eloise is doing, right? I actually just got a role as a director of a developmental academy, which um, works with seven, six-year-olds, right? In that foundation that the club, you know, I'm with Lower Marion right now, and that foundation that we want to build as far as the parent education piece, mentoring younger coaches, mentoring older players, and just being able to build a program, uh, a program that's already successful and continue to build it for years to come. And I think for me, uh, the education piece is super important. And now that I'm in a place where I can not necessarily give back, but share that knowledge uh, with the players, the parents, other coaches, being able to do that and do it in a way that is impactful and, and really helpful, I think for me has been huge. And, you know, the saying is when one person teaches, two people learn. So I'm hoping to bring that to the t- to the table and yeah, coach boys and girls, and, and I'm loving it. Uh, very, very blessed to be able to be in the position that I'm in.
1: I know both of you are also loving the fact that yesterday we kicked off Hispanic Heritage Month. The day of September 15, which is yesterday, is significant because it is the anniversary of independence for Latin American countries, Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. In addition, Mexico and Chile celebrate their independence days on September 16th, that's today and September 18th this weekend, respectively. Also Columbus Day, which is October 12th, falls within this 30-day period. So as key members of the Latino Soccer Coaches Abusky Group, I'll throw it out to both of you. Eloisa, you go first. When you think about the notion of Hispanic Heritage Month, what does it mean to you? And then Art, you can follow it up. To me, um,
5: coming from Spain, it was kind of like an eye-opener when I came to United States and see how huge and diverse our community is. Spain, sometimes we forget, you know, it's in Europe, it's in the other side, it's a little country, is the only country in Europe that speaks Spanish. Growing up, there wasn't much diversity, and we just thought of Spain with a lot of history, just going to America, conquer, you know, all these things, discover America. So that's it, right? Like we don't see what else in the other side. Uh, 10 years ago it's when I came to the States and I saw like a huge new world that I love. And today my biggest friendship and uh, people in my life, they're from all over this part of the, of the country, United States, Mexico and South America and Central America. And I, it allowed me to understand how big of a country this is and how Hispanic culture it is. And we are all Hispanic because we speak Spanish. I'm no Latina because I'm from Spain. So that's the, I remember, if I can say this, it's a funny story. My, my first time coming here, I didn't know much English and I had to fill a, a survey. So I started looking at the options and I saw white Latino, Hispanic, and I'm like, what am I? Because in Europe, I'm white, but I come here and I don't know if I'm white, Hispanic, or Latino. I'm like, I know I'm not Latino. So that was for me a sign of, it is very interesting how big of a country this is and diversity and how we're looking at culture. So that's when I think about um, Hispanic Heritage Month. I look back to all the people that I know from so many different countries, And like I spoke with Art, we all celebrate Christmas very differently, but what we have in common is the language and a lot of ancestors and
1: history. Wonderful answer, Art. Good luck topping that one. (laughs) To her point, right?
4: There is is a lot of differences uh, within the Latino community, right? For me, growing up in Los Angeles, right? I grew up in South Central LA. I was there till I was about 18, right? First generation Mexican, right? It, it, it was very eye-opening, right? Now now seeing it back, right? Obviously in that moment, I didn't know what it meant, right? But um, just being in the culture with a different, with not recognizing those differences, right? Because when you're a child, you don't know what those differences are. Everybody was just there, right? So whether you were from El Salvador, from Honduras, from Guatemala, Nicaragua, wherever you may have been from, we all spoke the same language, right? The struggle was the same right? The, the, you know, um, we all went home and celebrated and we all did our own thing independently, right? Now moving to the East Coast, now I'm in Philly, now it's, I'm dealing with people from the Caribbean, from Puerto Rico, right? Uh, there's more Venezuelans out here, right? It's just those different cultures. And I think that for me, um, when you talk about Hispanic Heritage Month, it's two things. One, wanting to learn, right? Learning those cultures and learn, learning those differences, and making sure that you respect those differences. Right. And, and uh, and rightfully so everybody does whatever they want to do in their own way. The other side of that is sharing those, right. I can't expect you to embrace me and embrace my culture. If I don't share that with you, right. How can I, how can I um, ask you to come to me or come, you know, or, or celebrate the way that I do, if I haven't shown you how I do that. Um, so I think being able to, to, Go both ways on it, right? Being open to receiving different information from different people and figuring out how everybody celebrates and how everybody operates in different ways, but also being able to give that to people as well and sharing and filling other people's cup. I think that to me is where um, we're talking about being Hispanic, Latino. um, It doesn't matter, right? You you have to uh, be able to give and and embrace those differences
1: and um, ultimately move forward. We're here with two of the leaders with United Soccer Coaches, not just with the Latino Soccer Coaches advocacy group, but just flat out leaders in general. And I mean that sincerely, Art Hernandez and Eloisa Borreguero. And, you know, look, the Latino Soccer Coaches avsky group over the years, we've made baby steps, then we made some big strides, then we took a step back and then forward and then back and now it's another chance to take another step forward mauricio lazado a youngster who was part of a recent 30 under 30 class is now the interim chair we need to keep making steps right because if you can see it you can be it as eloisa just mentioned there weren't too many female coaches let alone hispanic or latino whatever you want to call it coaches we need to keep making progress right and that's what it's all about right
5: yeah, definitely. And just the fact of opening these advocacy groups, it's an invitation for people to come and and be part of it. To me, if I didn't go and see that is it possible to become or to be part of this group, I probably wouldn't go, right? But putting yourself out there, ask for help, wanted to be part of the community, wanted to be people that are like you and it's super important. So I put it back on the coach that it's Latino, that is Latina, Hispanic, or women, or uh, African-American. There's all these groups, all these possibilities with United Soccer Coaches. It's up to the coach to have an open-minded, to feel that you can bring also value to this organization and to reach out and to join because it is the only way to build up the culture, to share experiences and... We all have those things in common. And I forget to say this, but we only don't have Spanish in common. We also have the love of the sport because soccer is probably the biggest sport in Spain for sure. And I know Mexican South America is the same. So we have those two things in common.
1: Those are two great things. Yeah, Art. Our-
4: yeah, and I think our, our biggest job is to use sport as a vehicle through advocacy to, to, to be able to either Reach out to the community, enhance the communities, share information, give information, and grow within the sport, right? Grow within the sport. And I think a big piece of that is is reflecting upon ourselves and taking that leadership role seriously, right? Like as an advocacy group, what do we want to accomplish and um, how can we help other advocacy groups as well? Right, um, because you don't, you know, just because, uh, for example, I'm a member of the Latino Coaches Advocacy Group. That doesn't mean I can't join a different advocacy group. That doesn't mean I can't I can't use the resources that other groups may have or may use as well. And just like we're we're uh, we're willing to share our resources as well, right? So I think overall, when you look at United Soccer Coaches, that's where the strength comes from. It comes from the different groups, the the power by numbers, and the willingness of people to be able to share. Um, good experiences, bad experiences, knowledge, right? To be able to keep growing uh, coaches, communities, and, and, and continue to, you know, almost like build leaders, right? And um, at least for me, it, it, you know, um, it, one of the biggest factors for me that of, of being where I'm at today is the fact that I did join the group. I was able to get a very good mentor in Mr. Loy Urbina and him taking the responsibility to say, hey, I'm not gonna give you the answers. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna guide you. I'm not gonna, I'm just here for you to, you know, for you to vent and you, you, know, you to learn a little bit, right? And, but it, that's all it takes sometimes, right? Giving that person somebody who, can, who they can talk to, somebody who can help them a little bit. And, and that only comes from us. Like, like we can't expect that to just happen, right? We have to develop those people. We have to develop those opportunities and grow through the advocacy group, um, whatever that looks like for anybody.
1: So we use the start of Hispanic Heritage Month, which was yesterday as another opportunity to spotlight what's going on with the Latino soccer coaches advocacy group and celebrate the incredible heritage of the Hispanic community in our country. But what are some of the things that, uh, as a group, as an advocacy group that you're working on during this month and as you push toward the convention, can you share with us uh, some little nuggets on some things that uh, you're hoping to accomplish?
5: We will be recognizing the the work of some of our coaches in their own community. Also looking to give some talks uh, in the convention, but we, we can still talk about that, Dean. We're going to keep that as a secret. <laughs> we'll announce that in the future. But our job is to still understand what the community needs. Um, like I say, we have different backgrounds. And sometimes we come from a country or from an environment that it's Uh, or an academy, or in my country we do these things differently. Coming here is to understand, invite those coaches to understand the culture, to understand the people we're working with, so people also can understand us. And as a group, it's like how can we provide those opportunities so coaches can learn, can grow, can share the experiences, and hopefully, I mean, I'm looking forward to the convention so we can all see each other faith without any laptop cameras mm-hmm. and, and really connect as a human to see we all have our struggles, but again, what we have in common is how we can advocate because eventually this is gonna be for the kids, for the future. However, we can plant those seeds in our own environment. doesn't matter if, if it's high school, if it's recreational, if you come from a professional background, it doesn't matter. We are all coaching soccer. We are leaders in our communities and we have a lot of players in front of us and parents. So how are we providing that information? And through that is gonna be our job to create those connections um, to then keep giving to
4: the community.
1: sure, I know you agree with everything Eloisa is saying there, but what can you add on?
4: You know, I think the, the importance of the convention cannot be understated. You know, if I can just share a quick story about the convention. I remember a couple of years, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, uh, my buddy, uh, Mike Pryor, we were talking and we were talking the whole fall. And I was like, dude, we got to go to the convention. We got to go to the convention. And he was like, no, 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 no. Let's wait. Let's wait. Let's wait. Right. So ultimately it was January and we didn't have tickets. Right. And um, then he was like, Hey, do you want to (laughs) go? And I'm like, all right, let's go. Right. Through that, through that opportunity, right. Through, through each other, pushing each other, I was able to join the Latino Coach Advocacy Group, join the Latino Coaches Advocacy Hour, right, which is going to happen in the convention. And um, and now I met these wonderful coaches. I'd be able to, able to network. And I was able to to just uh, obviously enjoy the weekend. It, it was in Baltimore, so I was able to enjoy Baltimore. And um, I can't wait to enjoy Kansas City. I mean, hopefully, you know, things, the, the needle gets pushed in the right direction. We're all able to meet.
1: And um, yeah, I can't wait for it. There is so much pride in the voices and the actions of Eloisa and Art, and I want to put that on center stage. So please, if you can, tell me why you're so proud to be a part of this association and the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group.
5: My name is Eloisa Borreguero. I'm the head coach of Albion San Diego. I am part of the Latino Advocacy Group with the United Soccer Coaches because I want to make an impact in my community. I want to build relationships and I want to be a better leader for the community.
4: My name is Art Hernandez and I am the director of the Developmental Academy at Lower Merion Soccer Club. I am also the content creator for the Latino Coaches Advocacy Group and I am working with a member of the Latino Coaches Advocacy Group because I feel our voices are important and I'd like to provide as many opportunities and information to as many coaches, Latino or
1: not, as possible. So with that, one of you can answer this. If people hearing this interview right now are like, hey, they do have a platform for me. I want to be involved. How can they reach out and join the Latino Soccer Coaches Advocacy Group?
4: So the best way to do that is Obviously go to unitedsoccercoaches.org, right? We have our page there. We have the information there. It's very simple, right? You go to advocacy, you go to the different groups, you will find Latino Coaches Advocacy Group, click and join. And really all it is, is, is you, you come on and you share some experiences, you gain some help, you give some help, right? You you know, you know live, you learn, It's it's a lot of fun. And the reality is you get what you give, right? And you don't know how much you're going to get until you, you like immerse yourself in the opportunity that United Soccer Coaches brings to you. If you're open to, to, to those opportunities, open to, to learning, you're gonna benefit from being a member,
1: that's for sure. Art Hernandez, Eloisa Borreguero, thank you so much for always making me feel part of your family as well. Of course, Eloisa will forever have the the tie that my wife was born in Madrid, just like you. So that always brings a smile to my face. And anytime I can help the Latino soccer coaches advocacy group, I am in and I am ready. Thank you so much as we kick off Hispanic Heritage Month for joining us on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thank you, Dean. Thank you. Thank you to Art and Eloisa. I also want to thank Sasho Soroski, who again, his Maryland team will take on Michigan, 6.30 Eastern time tomorrow night, Friday on the Big Ten Network. Friday night, under the lights, soccer in College Park. There's nothing like it, folks. So hopefully you can check that game out. Also want to thank our Countdown to Convention and Sky Eddie, a wonderful guest. Appreciate the work of Sean Chevrolet, Bailey Conklin, Jonas Worth, Erica Dyer, Jeff Van Dusen, and the entire gang at United Soccer Coaches, my producer, Colin Thrash. For each and every one of them and all of you, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by TeamSnap.
0: Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.